take your Bibles and open to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you will. And I'll tell you what. Boy. The older I get, the less I want to play church. Sometimes I'm just overwhelmed by God and the Word of God, and then He's enabled some people to write some beautiful music, and just the thought, the reason I live, the reason I live is to worship you. And yet so many of us go through life and never even consider him. Well, we say we're thankful for his salvation, but boy, we sure don't live our lives like it. You know, God's got a purpose for each and every one here this morning. I was sitting and talking yesterday, and something was said, and it just struck me. And I was talking about a relationship and how that a certain relationship was not going forward. And the comment was made. We ended the relationship because that person was not pursuing me. That person was not pursuing me. I've got a question to ask each and every one of you here this morning as well as myself. Are you pursuing God? We should be pursuing God to want to be like him. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. I apologize, folks. Uh, Just I'm a little bit overwhelmed. And so we've been studying the gifts, studying the gifts. Uh, Before I get into it, though, I just want to make a reminder here. After church here, we're going to have the In-N-Out Burger (laughs) Fellowship. And the idea is to fellowship. And in the book of Acts, which we've been studying, and God has just weaved woven all of this together so well, the gifts and what have you, and what we're to be doing. And it talks about how that it continued in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. Doctrine and fellowship. And I know that means a lot more than just what this fellowship I'm talking about here back in the back. But we need to learn to bond together. I mean, this is, think of it this way. You know, we all have our favorite sport. We have our favorite team. I think football is supposed to start next week. I don't know. I can't remember. I don't know for sure. But people have got their favorite teams, and, and this, those owners and those coaches, they work hard to put together those teams to make them why they want the best team. God has put this team here together this morning. He's fitly joined this body together on purpose. Why? He wants us to work as a team in harmony, in unity. So anyway. Let's get to it. Let's get to it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we'll read verse 28. And God hath set some in the church, first apostles, secondarily prophets, thirdly teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps governments, diversities of tongues or languages. Let's pray. God, well, we have to meet with you here this morning. We need you this morning. God, fill our hearts this morning. May we be consumed with your love. May we be overwhelmed with your omnipotence. 
uh, your, how that you're everywhere presence, dear God, how that you're all-knowing, Father, and then the fact that you loved us so much that you gave your only begotten Son to die for us. That's overwhelming. That's overwhelming. God, I pray that each and every one of us this morning just has a heart that's open and ready to receive you. I pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Going to go through the gifts this morning a little bit. Three categories. We're not going to get through all of it. Uh, the messages have been just a little bit longer, and I apologize for that. I don't mean to make them longer, but there's a lot of good information. So I'm going to try to do something that I don't normally do. I'm going to try to speak quickly, okay? I'm going to try to speak quickly, and so stay with me. Uh, so we're going to look at the gifts. There's basically three categories. We have to dig into them to understand the spiritual gift. We have the gifted men. That's one. We have the permanent gift, edifying gifts. That's two. And then we have the temporary assigned gifts. That's three. So three categories. It's going to be a little bit different than I think what a lot of us look at and consider as gifts because I'm starting off with the gifted men. We've read 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And so if you read Ephesians 4, 11 through 12, it says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting or the maturing of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There you have it. That's your job. First, let's consider the gifted men. Let me just state off the top, there are no apostles today. There are no apostles today. The Bible is what we hold up and say, this is our final authority for all faith and practice. We pronounce that. We proclaim that. Yet do we live it? I submit that a lot of times we pick and choose. It's like going to the buffet. It's, the Bible's clear about who the apostles and prophets were. And I want you to understand that this morning, uh, what the Bible says for the Apostle Paul, and he gave some apostles and some prophets. Now, what are these apostles and prophets? Some say that apostles and prophets are gifts. Let me be clear. Apostles and prophets are not gifts. This is not a gift of apostleship. There's not a gift of a prophet. Those are gifted men. Gifted men. Those are official titles. Uh, those are special ministries. Consider this distinction, if you will. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Ephesians 4, 7, if you'd like. Well, I still drink of water. Uh, actually, we pay for this, so I'm not stealing. This distinction in Ephesians 4, 7, it says, but unto every one of us, who is that talking about? It's talking about the child of God. Your child of God this morning, it's talking to you. It's talking to me. And it says, But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. God has specially packaged and put together a gift ministry for you that you can use in this body. In this body. Every child has it. Every child has it. Each child of God has a beautiful, unique gift. Get a hold of that. It's beautiful, and it's unique, and it's particular just to you. We all have the gift. The word there is very important. It's dorea. That word refers to a free gift, and the stress is on the free part. It's a free gift, and we, all, we have all received a supernatural 
free gift this morning. Get a hold of that. Oh, we're Baptists. Yeah, we're talking Bible. We're talking Bible here. Let's go on in Ephesians 4.8. It says, Wherefore he saith, When he ascended up on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto man. Alice and I are driving down the road this morning. Where scripture came up. Now pay close attention here too because the word here for gift is a completely different word. It's not dorea, but doma. And that word does not refer to a free, gratuitous sort of gift. But it talks about the character of the gift. He's talking about something very special. Some special kind of gift. Some quality of gift. And it's unique to you. We have all received a gift. But our gift is unique to us. Now, <clears throat> let me go back here. I mean, maybe I need to get back over here. Just give me a second. Uh, okay, sorry, lost Ephesians. Okay, so I go over to Ephesians here. Back to Ephesians. I'm there, and you look and you see verses nine and ten. They're in parentheses. They're in parentheses. So if you go right from eight to eleven. It reads like this. Wherefore he saith on high. Uh, he saith when he ascended upon high. He led captivity captive. And gave gifts unto men. Jumping down to verse 11. And he gave some apostles. And some prophets. And some evangelists. And some pastors. And teachers. So in verse 7. All Christians receive spiritual gifts. But in verses 8 through 11, he gives gifted men. Gifted men. This is probably different than a lot of you have been taught. He gives gifted men. So who does he give them to? Gives them to the church. He gives them to the church. Verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So we have to keep two things distinct in our minds. Spiritual gifts are one thing. And gifted men or something else. All right? Now, 1 Corinthians 12, ages and understanding this distinction again. And look back to verse 28. And it says, and God hath set. And God hath set. Or literally, God hath appointed. God has appointed. It isn't a grace gift anymore. It's an appointment. It's an appointment. It's a divine appointment. Like you... Uh, would appoint an ambassador to go to a different country, uh, France, or an ambassador to go to Italy, or what have you. God has appointed apostles, prophets, teachers. Then it says, after that, after that, he has given gifts like miracles, healings, helps, governments, tongues, which is languages. You see the difference? There are appointed men to office, gifted men, and then there are gifts. And the distinction in the phrase hath set, appointed, and the distinction in the, in the little phrase after that in the middle of verse 28. In addition to that, there are the gifts. Now, five types of gifted persons come in these two places. Ephesians 1, you don't have to turn, it gives you four. First Corinthians re-echoes that and adds a fifth, teachers. So you have a pro, apostles, prophet, evangelists, uh, pastors, and teachers. Question is, does the church always have apostles? Does the church always have prophets, evangelists, teaching pastors, teachers? 
Or was there a time when the church didn't have all five? That's what we're studying. Let's begin by looking at, the, at a word in verse 28, apostle. This was the primary gifted man in the history of the church. In the early church, this was the apostle. The word comes from apostolos, from which we get the word apostle, which is messenger. Messenger. Uh, in scripture, you'll find other scriptures where it uses the word messenger. It comes from the same word, but it doesn't mean the same thing. It doesn't mean the same thing. Uh, for example, uh, if you go to Hebrews 3.1, don't turn there, I'll read it. It says, Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and our high priest of our profession, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's called an apostle. I mean, if we were trying to describe this messenger, this apostle, you might think of Jesus as having all caps. A, capital A, capital P, capital O. And I'm going to stop there because all spelling is not my strong suit. Okay? All right. Then we go on and we talk about the 12, right? There was 12 and Judas was one. And then uh, they brought Matthias in. So you had the 12. And so you've got them. You, those, and it says in Acts 1.25, and Matthew 10.2 and Luke 6.13, they're talking about choosing. It says that he may take part in the ministry and apostleship from which Judas by transgression fell, that he might go to his own place. And the lot fell on Matthias. Remember? Okay, you might go capital A, and then maybe small p, small o, and on, all right? So the word messenger takes on kind of a technical meaning. It has a general meaning. Christ is a very technical meaning. And uh, then you have the apostles, another technical meeting. And then you have the 12. And then you go, well, what about Paul? What about Paul? Well, Paul was an apostle of God. And he's kind of in a class by himself. Romans 1, 1 says, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 1 says the same thing and it repeats it again and again. Let's go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. The Bible says, that which was from the beginning, verse 1, who is that? Who is that? In the beginning was the, was the Word. This is talking about Christ. That which was from, from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our, our, our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, you can't just be guilty of reading words and not understanding or thinking what it's talking about or what it's meaning. Our hands are handled. Verse 2, For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life, that which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Verse 3, that which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Who's John talking about? This old Apostle John. He's talking about the apostles. He's talking about the apostles. Hey, we've seen Jesus. We've touched him. 
was that John would lean upon his breast. They've handled him. Oh, my goodness. How they loved him. The apostles. These are the apostles. The apostle Paul. These are the apostles. You cannot be an apostle today because nobody has seen and touched and handled Jesus. That was one of the prerequisites of being an apostle. You have people around today that are being called apostles. Are they apostles? You've got to go back to Scripture. Is that scripturally true? No, it's not. It is not true. You can't. It's a, I'll tell you what, it is a lofty title. I look at some men, I think of some men in my own heart and mind that I go, wow, they are really have a walk with the Lord and they have such a grasp of the scriptures and you think if anybody would be they might be but there are no apostles today there are no apostles today it says whom having not seen we what love whoming have what not seen watch it when somebody says that they just saw Jesus the other day came along and talked to them now, the apostles had to be those who had seen and heard and had a vital and a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, a physical presence with Christ. They had to see the resurrected Christ. Acts chapter 1, verse 22 says, must, be, must one be ordained to be a witness with us of his resurrection. They had to see the resurrected Christ. They had to see the resurrected Christ. Dr. Criswell, home with the Lord, said this. In talking about these apostles, he said, they are like delegates to a constitutional convention. And when the work is done, that office ceases. The office of apostleship has ceased. It has ceased. There are no apostles today. In fact, after Acts 1, you hardly ever see them again. In fact, if we need apostles today and if we need prophets today, how come it never says anything about them in the epistles of the founding churches? Think about it. I'm trying to give you biblical truth this morning. After Acts 15, you hardly even see them. Because when they were gone, folks, they were gone. Their job was done. You got a job to do. I need you to come in here. We had them fix the air conditioner. By the way, praise God. Uh, Brother uh, Daner told me this morning that $6,000 estimate turned into $4,300. Praise God for that, right? You know why? We got, we got other air conditioners. <laughs> this one's going to go here. We got to start planning for that. There's a lot of things we need to do, a lot of work we want to do. Scott's house, we want to keep it up. But when the apostles were gone, they were gone. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 20 says that the church is built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And the foundation, once it's laid and the building goes up, from there. There you go. Sometimes we have natural disasters. Years ago, 91 I think it was, somewhere in there, we, had, uh, we were living down in Southern California and had those earthquakes. My goodness. It was, they were so violent that... I, I drove by a house in Silmar, and the house was literally split in half. Section of the overcrossing fell down. Matter of fact, the highway 
patrolman on a motorcycle went off that and was killed. Devastating. Can destroy houses. Sometimes fires can be so bad or a violent storm or a flood. And it will tear down the houses that we live in to the point that it destroys the foundation and has to be built again. Guess what? This church has a firm foundation. It's been established on and we don't have to worry about that foundation. It is done. It's been laid. It's been laid. And as a matter of fact, one other thing on Acts 15 at the Jerusalem Council. Who was it that presided over that? It was James, the brother of the Lord. It was not an apostle. It was not an apostle. I've lost my screen here. What happened? So there are others that are called messengers in Romans chapter 16, verse 7. Verse 16 and 7 says, Andronicus and Junia called messengers. Uh, James, the Lord's brother, is called a sent one. Messengers are found in 2 Corinthians 8, 23. Certain, methods, uh, certain messengers accompany Titus. Uh, Epaphroditus is called a messenger. This would be all derivative from the apostles. But then that might be a small a, small b, okay, messengers. Now the apostles, I'll show you how unique they were, had unique abilities. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, we can flip over there. 2 Corinthians, I can't remember where it's at. 2 Corinthians 12, 12 says, truly the signs of an apostles were wrought among you in all patience. What were they? In signs and wonders and mighty deeds. The apostles were a unique group. A unique group. You know, when Peter would walk and his shadow would fall on people, what would happen? People would get healed. I mean, it would be great to have a friend like this. Especially now as I'm getting older. I got some aches and pains. I got some issues. It would be nice to have Peter around here and say, I just want to catch him getting, catching me over here and, and over here. And, you know, so as we get older, we talk about the aches and the pains. And ouch, there was more. And didn't know I had a body part there. And it's just amazing. But Peter was an apostle. And apostles had marvelous, wonderful powers given to them by God's Holy Spirit. When you have a gift this morning, and we're living in a different time, but you need to understand that that gift is unique, and you are energized by the power of God. Whoa. Whoa. See, we're not playing church. We're talking truth here this morning. And I want you to get an idea of, of this almighty God and how he wants to have interaction with you. And fellowship with you. The only church the apostles ever founded collectively was the church of Jerusalem. The church of Jerusalem. And they set it down as a model and their work was done. And so what have we been doing? We're in the book of Acts. We're going through and we're trying to examine this church how it was built. Oh, not with concrete and hammer and nails, but pieced together by the Word of God. 
And we want to be exactly like that. Why? Because we want to see God's work proclaimed. We want to see God move forward just to be a conduit to allow God to work through me, which he wants to do, which he wants to do. Jerusalem was the model. Of course, Paul went around establishing churches, but the collective apostles established and worked and ministered in that one area in Jerusalem. They laid out doctrine and the model for the church, and they were gone. They were gone. We don't need apostles today. You know why? We already have doctrine. We already have God's Word. Do I need a new truth? There are some religions that have to say, well, we use the Bible, and then we use this book, and then we use this book, and then we use this book. So you've got some religions that have taken the Bible, and they go, oh, that doesn't fit our doctrine, so they rewrite it. We have got it. We've got it this morning. If you're in pages, it may be on your lap. It may be on your phone. But we've got God's Word. We've got God's Word. Secondly, let's take a look quickly. It ties right in. The prophets. The prophets. Prophet means simply one who speaks out. One who speaks out. We think of a prophet as somebody says, in three weeks, this is going to happen. And on this date, this is going to happen. I was listening to a guy speak the other day, and uh, he gave the date September 21st. That's what, three weeks or so from now. And he was talking about there's going to be a market crash. I don't know how he put all that together. And I'm kind of waiting to see if he's right. I am, you know. Some of you might have money in a 401k. I'm not, I'm not saying take your money out or anything like that. I'm just saying, I just, I just heard this guy say this. But we're talking about prophets, and this is what we think. Do you realize that it wasn't until medieval times where the word in the English language prophet came to be connected with the idea of prediction? It wasn't used back that way back in God's word. What's the difference between apostle and a prophet? Sometimes there wasn't any. Paul was both. Peter was both. We know Paul was because in Acts 13.1, he's called a prophet. We had the five preachers there in Acts chapter 13. When that's when it was starting unto the uttermost part of the earth, part of that Acts 1.8 was starting. Jesus made that announcement. And you shall be witnesses unto me. And in Acts 13, years later, it happened. The difference between a prophet and an apostle is that the apostle had a broad-based ministry to the church worldwide. And the prophets had a ministry to a local church, to a local congregation. In the Old Testament, the prophet spoke revelation from God. In the New Testament, Paul and Peter and John the Baptist and Agabus spoke revelation from God. They spoke the Word of God. In addition to that, they also taught the Apostles' doctrine. That's the Apostle. Does it mean that every time they opened their mouth, they predicted the future? No. Sometimes it was direct revelation. Sometimes they were 
saying something that was based upon what the apostles' doctrine was. So this is an office. Prophet is an office. Don't confuse it with a gift. It's an office. The office passed away. The office passed away. The gift of proclaiming is still here. We do that every day. The other day I went and had lunch with a, uh, one of the people in my industry. And as is my practice, I said, I'd like to ask God to bless the food for the nourishment of our bodies. Oh, yeah, let's do that, you know. And got talking, found out he had a background, Catholic background. And uh, we talked about, he said, you know, and I had, I had a real problem when I had to confess my sins to a man. I said, oh, yeah. I said, we can pray and do that. We have a direct route, direct line. And got to talking about the Lord and shared with him the gospel. Shared with him the gospel. Acts 15, 32 says, And Judas and Silas, being prophets also themselves, exhorted the brethren with many words and confirmed them. Confirmed them. I'll give you a distinction so you'll get them. A prophet is geared to a local congregation. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 29. Let the prophet speak two or three and let the other judge. Verse 32. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. There's no indication that there were any apostles in Corinth. But there were prophets. And they were working around this local ministry. So the apostles have a general, a broad, widespread responsibility. The prophets have a localized responsibility. Revelations given to the apostles was doctrinal. Revelation given to the prophets were, was practical. And that's just a general distinction between the two. So the apostles laid a doctrinal foundation, the Word of God, whereas the prophets gave practical advice to the church. This is what's going on, folks. God's Word says this. This is how we should do this. Why did they do that? Because the church of Jerusalem was an infant church. It was an infant church. They didn't know what was coming in the future. They were a tiny little baby. And the apostles had a vital ministry of telling them, don't do this or do this. Watch out for this. Or God says try this or God says don't do this. Why? To preserve the church in its infancy such until such a time as the canon, where that's talking about the collection of God's Word, the books of the Bible, were all put together and was furnished and finished so that they had a standard. This faith and practice is my standard. This is what I measure my life against. And once that was done, the apostles and the prophets ceased to have any purpose. There's one more distinction. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 37, it says, If any man think himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge the things that I write unto you that are the commandments of the Lord. Paul says, if anybody claims to be a prophet, make sure that what he says agrees with what the apostles wrote. We continue in the apostles' doctrine. That's what we talk about. 
So the prophets were subject to the apostles. They were secondary to the apostles. They were a temporary group, these prophets. Remember the prophets of the Old Testament prophesied. And then, boom, there was a 400 years of silence, and there's no mention of prophets. No mentions of prophets. And then in the New Testament, it starts up again, and he goes, you have prophets again. You have prophets again. So when the Old Testament was done, bang, they were gone. When they started the New Testament, they were here. When the New Testament was all written, bang, they were gone. There aren't any prophets in the Word of God in the world today because the Word of God is complete. It is complete. So what were the functions of the prophets? They had three, they had three functions. Number one was foundations, Ephesians 2.20. Uh, the church is built upon the foundations of the apostles and the prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Secondly, it was revelation. They were God's mouthpiece to reveal truth, both doctrinally and practically. Ephesians chapter 3, 5 says, Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So foundation, revelation, and then confirmation. They had gifts and they had abilities to confirm this revelation. Now, if revelation is complete, then that part of their function is gone. If that part of their function is gone, there doesn't need to be any confirmation of signs for them. And if the church foundation is already laid, which we know that it is, it does not have to be laid again. It's done. You understand? So the ministry of foundation is gone. Revelation is gone. Confirmation of that revelation is gone. And when those things went, the apostles and the prophets went with them. Gifted men. Gifted men. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Talking about the gifts. It's not a typical Sunday morning message. Not a typical series of messages that you would hear in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And I'm not trying to be different for the sake of being different. But I believe that there are some things that if we folks, if we don't get a grasp on and a hold of, that we'll be lacking throughout all of our physical life as we attempt to walk in the Spirit. So that we'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I come back to it. You come in this morning. Praise God that you're here. The Bible says not to forsaking yourself and not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. As the manner of some is, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Hebrews 10.25. A lot of us understand that we need to be in church. But unfortunately, in so many Baptist churches, that's where it ends. People don't realize that you're a vital part of this team, this body that God has put together, and that you're just as important as the next person sitting to you. Well, this person does this, this, and this. No, you are vitally important, and you are to be here ministering and using the gift that is God, God has given you. Why? So that you can edify the body. And folks, when you're not here, you can't edify the body. And in essence, you hurt the body. You hurt the body. Our prayer is that our church will be full of 
mutual, people mutually understanding their abilities together. So that when the world looks at us, they don't see McKee Road Church building. They see a body that is making public, making public Christ, presenting Christ. You know how it is. You see some people and, you go, and they have such a walk with the Lord, you go, oh my. I look at them and I just, I just think of Christ. I just think of God. And now all that comes together when each of us begin to walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I ask that this morning we would take these words and uh, the preaching and teaching of your word, God, that your Holy Spirit is doing a work in our heart, that we would submit to you and allow you to rule us. God, there may be some here that do not have a church home. God, I would ask, is this the home? Is this the body that you want them to be a part of? God, if there are some here looking for that and they feel confident that this is where you'd have them, God, I pray that they'd come forward and meet with me and we could begin to talk about that. Father, there may be some here today that says, you know, I've heard of Jesus, but I've heard of Jesus just like I've heard of George Washington. Never got to meet the man. And they've never met your son personally. Dear God, they've never tasted of that free gift of salvation. Oh, they may recognize that they're a sinner, but they never have asked you, God, Jesus, forgive me of my sins, and I want to receive you as my Savior, and I want you to rule and reign in my life. God, if there's someone like that here this morning, I pray that during this moment of silence, as we stand together with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, that they would come forward. Whatever the need is this morning, God, we pray that we would yield ourselves to you. God, shake us out of what we have been for so many years and cause us to recognize that we're dealing with the Almighty God. And there will be a day when we step into heaven and we will recognize fully who you are. God, may we get a glimpse of that this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Please stand together with me. Heads bowed and eyes closed. No one looking around. Still early. Still early. Food's on the way. Folks, how's your walk with God? How's your walk with God?